0: Just showing off is all that is. <laughs> showing off. I was supposed to move this. Yes, so. you were. <laughs> no, it's okay. Welcome to our life. <laughs> no, thank you so much for um, the invitation uh, to come back. Thanks to the elders and Pastor Garner, and it is really uh, so nice to see uh, so many of you again and see you're, you're still going and still living and breathing and making it. It's a it's a great thing. We pray for you. On a regular basis in our church, and uh, look look forward to hearing about you as much as we can. But we do remember you uh, before the Lord, and, and everybody sends their greetings to you, even though they don't know you, you don't know them, but they greet you in the Lord, like the like the, the Epistle of Romans, all those people. But uh, thank you for uh, letting me be here. Let me read the scriptures, and we're gonna, and then I'll pray, and we'll get started looking at this this topic. Uh, this is from Ephesians one And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that can be named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body. The fullness of Him who fills all in all. And that's the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word, and thank you for giving us, uh, for revealing to us your will and your glory in Christ Jesus. Thank you for giving us your spirit and enabling us to understand the things that you have spoken. We pray that you'll help us to understand the word that you've given us so that we can live with joy and gladness and holy confidence. In these days, that we might bear the witness of our Savior to the world around us and that you'll bless our, our our efforts in seeking to spread the kingdom and spread the gospel of the kingdom throughout the earth. Hear our prayers, bless our time together, for Jesus' sake, amen. amen. Well, I, I don't have to tell you we live in strange times. It's just astonishing if you watch... The debates, you know, I'm just speechless as to what is happening to us as a country. And um, the fact that these people can actually be taken seriously as candidates for president is an amazing thing. It's astonishing, kind of, um, that, that we live in such weird, strange, upside down, insane times. It's a true insanity that's gripping the country. Now, there are a lot of reasons for this, but the most important reasons, I'm afraid, is one that christians don't think about many times we live in strange times because we despise the salvation of god and we despise the means by which he brings his salvation into the earth which is the church of the lord jesus Um, you know the barnard group they're always doing polls and they're very depressing everything they come out with (laughs) but they 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 did this poll a couple of years ago i think among Christians, people who profess to be Christians, and the question was, what do you think of the church? And the fact is that most Christians, most professing Christians, think the church is almost c- completely irrelevant. I mean, they go, M- many of them go, but they don't think it's, it's central to their Christian lives. Uh, they just don't think of it that way. Most Christians in our day, if you were to ask them, what's the most important institution in the earth? They would say the family. And uh, I certainly don't want to say that, that's, that family's not important, it certainly is important. We all know how important it is. But that's not the most important institution. The others would say, well, I think, you know, what we need to do, the thing we need to focus on is electing good Republican senators and congressmen and governors and presidents. And that is important, I think, good men. If we elect good, sound politicians, if we can find some. And um, that's important. Nobody should ever think that, that politics is unimportant, but that's not the most important thing. Um, some would think that doing those things is far more important than choosing a pastor or the next deacons or elders, uh, and it is not, of course. Many believe that getting, getting the laws right, legislation corrected, and getting good, righteous laws is the best thing for the well-being of the world. And it's more important than participating in worship on Sunday, and that's a big mistake. That's not true, and that's not saying that legislation is unimportant or we shouldn't care about it. We do. That's why we're concerned about the some of the if so and so if these if the, some of these people get in power, we're in big trouble. So I am concerned about legislation very much so. But I have to tell you, worship is far more important than passing good re- legislation. All of these things point to the reality is that the church is the most important institution in the world. It is the center of everything that God is doing. But you have to ask the question then, you know, when having all these attitudes that I just mentioned, if we could gather up all the church fathers and, and then the great leaders of the church through the Reformation and through the 18th, 17th and 18th and 19th century, we could all gather them and just say, guess what guys, here's what most people in our country think about. This is what they think is important. They would all, to a man, be astonished. They wouldn't believe it. Historically, these attitudes are so weird they're almost indescribable. And yet they're very common, and I'm talking about myself, because I grew up, much like many of you, in, in, a, in a church that was, it wasn't, they weren't bad people, but it was just a very, um, a very, I guess, normal church in our country. And we, I never thought it was very important, nobody seemed to think what we did was important. And uh, I was influenced much more by Campus Crusade for Christ, or an independent organization, not the church. and so. I didn't think the church was important at all, and if you would ask me, in fact, people did ask me when I graduated from college, what am I going to do, and I said, well, I'm not sure, but I'll tell you one thing I will never do, and that's be a pastor in a church. (laughs) And I was serious about that. Because I really didn't want to have anything to do with the church. I wanted to give seminars. You know how that's fun. You go, give a seminar, leave town. You don't have to deal with all these crazy people. <laughs> it's great. I love giving seminars. And that's what I wanted to do. But I really despise the church. The, the word despise just means you don't think much of it. You know, if you despise it, it doesn't mean you hate it or you're really angry when you see it. it the word despise just means, yeah, it's not important. It's, it's kind of, yeah, you know, not important. And that was my attitude. I, didn't, I wouldn't have said, don't go, I would have just said, oh yeah, you know, it's nice to go. You need to do it. But I didn't think that that was where it, the action was. And I was wrong. Why is the church so despised in our day? Well, it's despised because we do not believe what God has said about it, what God reveals about it in the scriptures. The Bible says that the church is the body of Christ. Now, that's not a news to you. You all knew that. If I had asked the question, what is the body of Christ? You would all say, oh, the church. You know the answer to that. But do you really believe that the church is the body of Christ? The Bible says that's what it is. Paul says in the passage that we just read in Ephesians 1 that the church is the fullness of Christ. It is his fullness. The idea is you cannot know Jesus fully like you should if you don't know the church if you don't if you despise the church the church is essential in order to being in relation and having a relationship to Jesus that is not said none of this stuff is said of the family it's not true the family is very important not we don't despise the family at all but that's not said of the family the family is not the body of Christ The family is not the fullness of Christ. The church is the fullness of Christ. We are not thinking of Jesus biblically if we don't think of him in terms of the church. That's what we really need to understand. And that's what Paul is saying. The the civil government's not said anything, has anything like that kind of thing said about it. It is the church that is the fullness of Jesus, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now you would think it would be almost impossible to think lightly of the church, given what the Bible says about it. How could you think that the body of Christ is not important? Um, but it, that's exactly what's happened. Most Christians view the church as an auxiliary institution, an organization, something like a Christian uh, country club. And we get together, we have parties, we eat food, we have fellowship, we don't have a golf course. That's, that's the only thing we don't have. <laughs> But that's basically what we are. One, one man said, who needs the church? The Rotary Club serves coffee. The 4-H Club says prayers. The Red Cross offers up offerings for the needy. The mental health clinic offers counseling for the troubled. He said the Boy Scouts offer youth programs. Well, not anymore. <laughs> who needs the church, he said. Well, it, it does seem like the only thing left for us to do is kind of give away free donuts on Sunday morning. That's a place you can go to get free donuts. Most people think that the church might be helpful to you in some ways. It assists you in learning the Bible. You, it provides you good contacts. If you need contacts, uh, that's good because you can meet people who know others. It's able maybe to encourage you when you're down. It's able to help you when you get in trouble or you need somebody to move the piano. You know, you know there's all kind of good things about a church. But that is not the church doesn't seem to be important it doesn't have anything directly to do with our salvation salvation in the minds of most people has nothing to do with the church it's a personal relationship with Jesus that I can have I can have out on the lake I can have it in the mountains I can have it in the desert I can have it anywhere I want I don't need the church to have salvation all I have to do is pray a prayer ask Jesus into my heart believing what the Bible teaches is quite different. However, if we, if, uh, you know, I, I used to say, and we used to say it in college, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than sleeping in a garage makes you a car. And I believe that, but I think that I was dead wrong. Mm-hmm. Not because I've become a Roman Catholic, not because I believe there's some magical thing that happens, but I believe what the Bible teaches. God doesn't say that the church is a means by which we are helped to understand what salvation is, he says in so many words that the church is salvation. This was the common belief of all Orthodox believers all the way through, I would say, the middle of the 20th century, or the majority um, in in the 20th century. The church father, Cyprian, you've probably heard this before, Cyprian said this, Therefore he who would find Christ must first of all find the church, For outside the church, there's no truth, no Christ, no salvation. He compared the church, like many other church fathers did, and the reformers too, he compared the church to the ark in the flood. He said, if there was any escape for one who was outside the ark of Noah, there will be as much for one who is found to be outside the church. Just as there is only one ark, in other words, so there's only one church, and it is the Christian's only hope. And this is absolutely true because because the church is really and truly the body of Christ. It's not a human organization. We think of it that way. I mean, in spite of ourselves, we think of it, you know, we can talk about, we started this church, we did it. I know the guys who did it. I remember when it did and when it started. And we think of it as a, just a human organization. It isn't. And we've got to keep reminding ourselves the church is really and truly the body of Christ, which means it cannot be separated from Jesus. It is his fullness. Salvation, therefore, can only be found in union with the church because all life is in Jesus, and the church is his body. If you're separated from his body, if you have no union with him, you have no life. Apart from him, there is only death. Jesus cannot and will not be separated from his people. He does not want anyone to think of him apart from his people, which is his bride and his body. He identifies himself, therefore, throughout the Bible with his people. So those who persecute the church, he goes to Paul, who was a, Saul, who was a persecuting the church, and he goes, why are you persecuting me? And Paul probably is sitting there going, what? I'm persecuting these, these stinking Christians? I'm not, I'm not touching you. Jesus says, yes, you are. If you do it to them you 're doing it to me that 's my body and he takes it very seriously when those who hear the church, when when you hear the church he says when you hear the preaching of the word from my representatives my ministers you are hearing me he said he identifies himself with the the leaders of the church he says those who care for the church are caring for him remember the parable of the of the sheep and the goats. He he said that you didn't, I was in prison, you didn't come see me, I I, I was sick, you you didn't visit. And they go, that's not true, When, when when were you ever in prison we didn't come to you? Jesus said you didn't do it to the least of these my brothers, you didn't do it to me. So he clearly will not be thought of apart from his people. So inseparable is the church from Jesus that Paul identifies Jesus with the church in 1 Corinthians 12, 12. Listen to this language. He says, for as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is, and you expect him to say, the church, because that's what he's talking about. But he doesn't say, so also is the church. There's one body, many members. Every member has a different thing to contribute. Every member has a strength and a gift to to minister to other members of the body. That's what we expect him to say. That's not what he says. Remember what he says? He says there is one body, and so also, uh, all the members members of that one body being many are one body, and so also is Christ. And Calvin says... He just, he just fooled us. Calvin says, that's not what we expected to hear. He says, here Paul identifies the church. The name of Christ is substituted for that of the church. And because Paul calls the church Christ in this verse, there is, it's full of rare comfort. For Christ invests us with this honor that he wishes to be discerned and recognized not only in his own person, but also in his members. And, of course, Calvin is, is expounding this in light of what Cyprian and other church fathers taught. He is repeating, expanding on the statement of Cyprian. And commenting on Ephesians 1.23, which we read, Calvin says, Paul, in Ephesians 1.23, says, The church is his fullness. That's talking about Jesus, is the fullness of Christ. As if he would be mutilated in some way were he to be separated from his members. Absolutely right. If the church is his body, to touch you is to touch Jesus. Like God says, he who touches you touches touches the apple of my eye. He sticks his finger in my eye. And that's, that's how seriously God takes the church. That's the way it really and truly is so all of that sounds like heresy and you kind of get a little uneasy about it because we haven't been we haven't lived to we haven't been hearing those kinds of things Uh, but in fact the bible doesn't allow another view to be saved is not merely to have some sort of private personal religious experience but it's to be delivered out of our union in adam we were united to adam and therefore we were all dead we come into the world dead in trespasses and sins to be delivered from that, that death and condemnation and brought into life in Christ, united to Jesus who is life. So that is the blessing. And salvation is not merely going to heaven when you die. It is that, but it's much bigger than that. You go to heaven when you die because you're conformed to Jesus. And Jesus is the one who's accepted in the Father's presence. And if we're ever going to be accepted in the Father's presence, I have to be in Him. Right? I have to be united to Him. And that's what we're talking about here. That's what salvation is, being conformed to Jesus. All the other stuff that we often identify as salvation are the fruits of that. All salvation, all life is in Him. The goal of God from the beginning was not just to have isolated individuals here and there believing a set of teachings in their hearts, but rather God's great purpose was to have a body of people who would worship Him in unity, who would serve one another, who would manifest the reconciliation and love and service and of Jesus that Jesus Himself embodies, and and to have that con- that continual reality within god 's be- that 's within god 's triune being manifested to the world that 's the goal that 's what God has be- has been working with that 's his purpose from the beginning and the gospel is the news, the good news that God has accomplished this purpose through the work of his Son by the gift of his spirit. The reality of salvation is found therefore in the church that has been called out from the world um, and salvation is there is experienced it is seen it is embodied in the people who love and trust and follow jesus and live together in love like god the father loves the son and the son loves the father we're to love one another just as the father has loved me jesus says and like i have loved you that's the pattern the pattern of our life together is to be patterned after the relationship between the father and the son and the spirit the church is what the world will be one day now we are not what we will be one day either we still have imperfections but we are moving in that what salvation looks like is is supposed to be reflected by our congregation god uses his people to disciple the nations and bring about the full restoration and glorification of man and the entire creation. Salvation, then, is preeminently public, not private. It is corporate as well as personal. Though salvation is personal, however, it is never private or an individual thing as in the sense of being an isolated individual. It is a public and communal thing. It's life in communion, which is what all life is. If you're not in communion, you're dead. Life lived as it was meant to be lived, life patterned after the life of the triune God. Lived now as it will be lived one day in perfection by faith, obedience, with thanksgiving and praise. All of life is life in communion because all of life comes from God himself who is the triune society. He is the original community, the original fellowship. Salvation then is a picture, is a, is a picture of God, that God works in us to reflect his love that, it, that exists in himself between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So, because man is created after the image of the triune God, life is not something you can have in isolation from others. Life always involves communion, fellowship, society, because it is sharing the life of God, which is the life of the Trinity. It is the society of God himself. And this is the significance. One of the things that's greatly significant about the church being called the body of Christ, it is saying to us, salvation is rooted and grounded in the person of Jesus. It is by grace, not by works. It is Jesus who is the Savior and the only Savior. John tells us all life is found in him, in him is life, and that life is the light of men. There's only one life, and that's God's life, and the only way you can live is to be able to be a partaker of that life, the only way you can live in the way that we think of salvation. That's exactly what it is. It's only by virtue of our union with the second Adam that we are delivered from the wrath and curse of God that was ours in the first Adam. And so, the first Adam, we were cut off from communion. We died because we were cut off from fellowship with the God who is life. So Adam didn't drop dead when he sinned, but he died truly that day. How did he die? Well, he didn't have communion with the living God. And if you don't have communion with the living God, you can walk around living and breathing and eating and talking and doing other things, but you're dead, you're dead in your sins. You don't have the life that is the abundant life of God. Because you've cut yourself off from Him. To be reconciled to God, therefore, is to be brought back into communion with Him. It's to be restored to life. It's the equivalent of a resurrection. It's the equivalent of being born again. Being born a second time. Born into new life. That's the whole picture. And so Jesus is the mediator of the covenant In that by him and in our covenant relationship with God, that is in him, that our covenant relationship with God is restored. We have communion with God again. We are restored to life again. And so we're granted God's favor. That's grace. And we're given all the promises that are secured for us in Christ. So Paul says, 2 Corinthians 1, all the promises of God are in him. Yes, and in him, Amen everything that god has promised becomes ours it's secured for us it's confirmed by the work of jesus and it it comes to us in him all of those blessings the church then is not merely a means that is used in the salvation of men or an encouragement towards salvation the church is the saved humanity the people who live in communion with one another and with god himself it is it is salvation because it is the body of christ the only place where humans can share in the life of god so since all life is in him to have life the only way to have life is to be united to him salvation then is not something uh, is, it's not something given to individuals completely isolated and separate from others it's something that comes by virtue of your union With Christ who is life I have life by virtue of being a member of the body that is a living body that has the spirit of the living God and I partake of that life by the Spirit because I'm joined to the body that is filled with the Spirit I can only have life as long as I continue to abide in the body where it exists so we're not given little individual eternal life batteries somehow you know that you pray a prayer, God sends it from heaven, and it's it hits you. In, I guess in the head or the heart, it goes in there, and you got eternal life. That's the way we think about salvation, isn't? I mean, we really do. Um, we think of it kind of like something I get straight from heaven, straight from God, and I have it all by myself. Which is why when you meet, you can meet some of the biggest reprobates, especially where we live in the south, and you live in the south, but we live. In the <laughs> southern South, yeah, <you> know. <laughs> and everybody's been saved. Now they hadn't been to church, ever. They don't care about the church. They don't care about that. Why would you? They don't want to live faithfully. All they care about is going to heaven when they die, and they got that. They they got that all worked out because they asked Jesus in their heart. And you go up to the drunk, say, man, you need to be repent. He goes, oh man, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian i'm saved if that's your view of salvation you don't understand biblical salvation but you see we've encouraged that by implying that in fact salvation can come to you in isolation that you can be right with god all by yourself jesus says that is a lie i am the vine you are the branches the branch cannot have life in itself if it's separate from the vine there can be no fruit if it separates itself from the vine. There is no life in the vine, in the branch, it's in the vine. And so if the branch is cut off from the vine, it dies, and it dies because all life is in the vine. The only way for the branch to survive is to abide in the vine. Apart from the vine, there's nothing but death. So John 15 and, of course, many, many other places give us the, a correct perspective on life and salvation. We think salvation is life being imparted to us by God, and that's not false. That's, that's true, but it's not the emphasis that the Scripture gives us. The emphasis of Scripture is that, that not so much that Jesus comes into our lives as it is that we are put into His life. See, we are grafted into Him now he does indwell us but why because we are in, united to him his spirit fills us but why because you're united to the body that the spirit fills and you're a member of that body my hand is living and can do all kinds of things it obeys my head when i say to do something if i say clinch it clenches if i say punch it it punches probably breaks itself <laughs> when it does But it it does what I say. If it says, you know what, I just think I need to find myself and find my own way. I appreciate this body, I do. I don't want you to think I'm being ugly, but I'm leaving. I'm gonna find another place to live, but I want to be by myself for a while, just me and God. How long would that hand live? Can I give life to the hand? That separates itself. Nope, cannot. There is no life to be sent to the hand, lay hand, and we could put electrodes in the hand and make it jump, maybe get the nerves doing. We could play Frankenstein. But the hand will not live if it separates itself from the body. There's no life outside of union with, the, with Christ. And union with Christ is inevitably union with his people. The whole point of 1 John is that if you don't love your brother, John says, you don't love me. Because you cannot fellowship with me if you don't fellowship with them. You, fellowship, you, don't, you don't like to fellowship with them, you have no fellowship with me. I will not be separated from my people. There is no loving God without loving your brother. There's no loving Jesus without loving the church. God describes salvation then, not so much as Jesus coming into our lives, as us being grafted into his life. He indwells us because we are members of his body. Salvation then is sharing the life of God. We partake of that life by virtue of being united to Christ by the Spirit. Salvation, eternal life, is the life of God, right? That is God's life, and we partake of that. We have eternal life because we have union with Christ who is life. This is what God begins at baptism. You see, at baptism, we're united to Jesus. All, all the Reformed confessions all confess it. They say it, that baptism unites you to Christ. And that means that that's why you're, you're then immediately called a member of the church. Because to be united to Christ, to be united to his body, and his body is the church. And so the work of salvation begins there doesn't end there but it begins there it means that his history becomes our history his story becomes our story what happened to him is applied to us and it becomes it affects us from now on so Paul says you have been crucified with Christ if you're baptized he said that means you've been crucified with Christ you've been buried with Christ you've been raised with Christ so that you've been freed from the dominion of sin and now you have been raised to walk in newness of life because sin's dominion has been broken over you. You can now obey. And that's the way we live now. The new life that is Jesus' life now becomes ours because of his finished work in our behalf. So salvation is rooted and grounded in the person of Christ. And we must, if we, mu- if we are to... If we're to have life, we're to, all that we need, we have to find in Him. He is the elect of God. He is the chosen one. And we are elect in Him. He is the well-beloved of the Father. And we are beloved of the Father because we are in Him. He is the one who was justified by God. He was raised for our justification. In fact, He was vindicated from the false charges of men. He bore our sins, but He was not the sinner and resurrection shows he was the substitute he paid for those sins and god now can restore communion with him he had to cut him off as he was the sin bearer but he restores it by virtue of of accepting the payment that jesus offered and we paul says are justified in him that's our he is our righteousness he is the one who in whom we have the confidence to know god vindicates us as well we deserve to die but we have been vindicated through jesus by his resurrection he's the first one to be born again to be born from above he was raised by the spirit and the father they raised him up so that he could live and now and he has been given resurrection glory he was given the new body that all of us will share because we're united to him we will be like him in the resurrection. We will have a body like, like unto his body, his glorious body, Paul says. And so in effect, you see, he is the new creation. He is what is called in the Bible, regeneration. Now we've given a stipulated, term, a stipulated theological definition to regeneration. We talk about it being a, a, a new heart that's put into you by the Spirit. The Bible doesn't use the term that way. That's fine to have a stipulated theological definition for that. But the Bible doesn't speak that way. The Bible uses uh, regeneration to refer to Jesus himself and to the fruit of his work. So in him we become members of the new creation. We become citizens of the regeneration. Remember it's used twice in the scriptures, one to refer to the washing of baptism and the other refers to the the new heavens and new earth when the disciples will sit on 12 thrones when you come into the regeneration jesus says so it's the finished work so being united to jesus we become participants in that new creation in him all that's going to happen in the world has already happened to him in the middle of history you see so what is going to happen to us well we will die we will be raised again and we'll be glorified the whole creation is also going to be glorified. Jesus has already gone through that entire process so that in him, the new creation is a reality. He took our curse and our condemnation upon himself. He's the first one in this, in this sense to receive salvation in its fullness. Now, understand how I'm meaning that. Obviously, he didn't sin. He didn't need to be saved in that sense. But the Bible talks about him being saved. Paul says in Hebrews chapter 5, he was saved from death because he took on our sins. Not as He didn't have to be delivered from his own sins, of course, but as he took upon himself our sins, he had to be delivered from those sins. And so he goes through the entire process of salvation for us. He took the curse, our condemnation upon himself, pays the full penalty and therefore was saved from death. He received the salvation that God is giving all of us. He purchased it. He obtains it by his own work and becomes then the surety that we too will certainly be delivered. So we know absolutely. All I have to say, where's Jesus? He's at the right hand of the Father. Where will you be? At the right hand of the Father. That's exactly where all of his people will be because of him. And he becomes our surety, our absolute yes and amen, knowing that everything God has promised will be fulfilled. Being saved then is not a matter of adding Jesus to your life, but being brought out of the death that was yours into the life of Jesus. Christianity is not about how Jesus fits into your life or changes and alters your life, but rather how you have died and you have been brought into his life and been transformed by that life, which is a new creation. So Paul says, If any man be in Christ, he is the new creation. All things have passed, old things have passed away, all things have become new. Why? Because Jesus, that's what's happened to him. He is the new creation in himself. So to be brought into union with Christ is to be brought into that new creation. And you have the pledge then of the regeneration that's there we know we're going into the new heavens and new earth because jesus is already embodying that new heavens and new earth in himself so this so this is the reality of salvation and this is what we see being spoken of throughout the scriptures all that god has in store for us as his people and for the world has become a reality in his son and these blessings are ours because we are united to the one who is the embodiment and the fulfillment of all of God's promises and purposes. Because of our union with the glorified Christ then, we are citizens in the new creation, in the new heavens and new earth, and able to walk in newness of life. Paul says then in Romans 6 that that's what's happened to you, and that's what baptism signifies and seals to you. So, Paul can then go on in Titus and and identify the washing of baptism that brings us into regeneration and i think that's maybe the way to understand that in the kindness and the love of god our savior toward man but when the kindness and love of god toward of our the love of god our savior toward man appeared not by works of righteousness which we have done but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the holy spirit which he poured out on us abundantly through christ jesus our savior that be, having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So the idea, it seems to me, that, that what he's talking about is that actual work of, the, of what the Spirit does, uniting us, taking us out of Adam, uniting us to Jesus, making us members of his body, beginning that great work, which shall certainly be finished by virtue of, God's, uh, of, of, virtue of what Jesus has accomplished. So, our deliverance happens not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to the mercy of God that he has revealed in his Son. We participate, then, in that work, the work accomplished by Jesus, by membership in his body. Obviously, this is not something we can experience privately in isolation from the rest of the members of the body. That's the whole point of being a body. And that's why it's so important that, we, that God describes the church that way. We participate then in the salvation that every member of the body is participating in. And that means that I have to honor the other members of the body. Because I cannot grow and to be everything that God has intended me to be without the other members of the body and I want to get into that a little more tomorrow, but that that puts, then that puts us, that gives us the reason why you have to love one another, you have to honor one another, you don't exalt yourself over any others, because you have to recognize every member of the body is necessary for your salvation. They're being used by God to conform you to Jesus in various ways, through the various ways that God uses them. That's exactly what happens to us. So, so John describes salvation in this way. remember that opening section of John in John first John chapter 1 verse three. Listen to this language though it's, it's interesting. He it says, um, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life, the life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Listen, who's he talking about here? Who is the life? Who is that eternal life that was with the Father? That's Jesus. Yes? That which we have seen and heard, we declare unto you that you may also have fellowship with us. I want you to share this and have this eternal life. But then he goes on and says, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So it's not when you join the church... When you become a member of the body of Christ, you're not just having fellowship with one another. John says, oh, you're going to have fellowship with us, but you need to understand, our fellowship is with the Father. It's with the Father and His Son. We have fellowship in the triune God. We fellowship we are brought into that glorious fellowship of the Trinity. And that's our life. That's the eternal life that we now have is that fellowship with the Trinity. The gospel brings us into fellowship with God, but fellowship with God involves fellowship with all of His people. There's no such thing as an individual private fellowship with God. Now you say, "Well, I have fellowship with God. Yes, you do have personal fellowship. You have a personal relationship. But you see, that even is not isolated from the rest of the body, is it? If it is, you're going to be weird. You're not going to be right. You're going to be, you know, you fall into crazy things when you're by yourself. You start thinking weird thoughts when you read the Bible. You have to have somebody come along and say, where did you get that? Why do you think like that? That's nuts. And you go, well, I thought it was wrong. No, it's crazy. You're an idiot. Oh, that helps me. We have to be, we have to have one another to help us to understand. Miroslav Volf, who's a theologian, he said, one cannot have a private self-enclosed communion with the triune God. For the Christian God is not a private deity. Communion with this God is at once also communion with those who have entrusted themselves in faith to the same God. Hence, One and the same act of faith places a person into a new relationship both with God and with all others who stand in communion with him. We are baptized, remember, into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The name represents God Himself. Those titles not only represent, are not only descriptive of the relationship sustained between the persons of the Godhead, but they also describe our relationship with the Godhead. The Father is not only the Father of Jesus, but our Father now. I can pray and say, our Father who art in heaven. Jesus is not just the Son of the Father. He is the great captain of my salvation. He becomes my brother, because I too now have been made a Son of the Father in Him. The Spirit is not just the Spirit that's sent forth from the Father and the Son. He is the Spirit that's been sent forth to me by virtue of my union with that communion. I'm in that communion of the triune God, and I share in all the blessings of that communion. And so baptism initiates that. That's the reality of it and the great mystery of it. We become partakers of the Spirit because we become members of the household where the Spirit dwells in His fullness. And we are to grow up in that. That's why you teach your children, you bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You teach them about what, this is what God has done for you in baptism now. This is the way we respond to that. You have to always ask forgiveness for your sins. You have to always trust in Jesus. You have to always love him and follow him all your life. Don't ever forsake him. He will never forsake you. Don't ever forsake him. We think too much like of the church as if it's a jar where we as marbles can go roll in once a week. So we can be together, you know. we got to have some touch time. We're a jar where all the marbles can have a place where we can come together and all the marbles can rattle a little bit and sing a little bit and then, they, then, the, then you just pour them out and they just spread all over the place. The problem with that analogy is that a marble can still be a marble when it's poured out of the jar. But a Christian who leaves the church is no longer a Christian. The church gives you that identity. It is the body of Christ. You leave the body of Christ, what do you have? You can't take a life pack with you. You can't take a piece of Christ with you to keep you alive. You're leaving life. Life belongs to Jesus, and the only way you can have it is to be in union with his body. And if you cut yourself off from him, you die. And this is the significance of being a body. Just as the life of each of the members of your body depends upon the It's union with the rest of your body, so life for us is dependent upon union with the body of Christ. And we grow up and mature in life as we worship with God's people, as we serve one another, as we commune together with all the members of the rest of the body, abiding in Jesus, abiding in communion with His body by the Spirit. It's only through the church that we can participate then in the life of Christ. So when Paul rejoices over the fact that he is in Christ and he does it over and over again, everything in Christ is this, in Christ is that, he's rejoicing over being in Christ. He is rejoicing over being a member of the church of Jesus. And if you were to think, no, you just have a mystical union with Jesus, he he would simply go, what in the world are you talking about? I'm a member of his church. That's why I'm in Christ. That's what it means. I'm a member of his body. I'm united to his body. And that's why I esteem the church. And I esteem the new Jerusalem greater than my chief joy is what the psalmist says. He he esteems, you know, Jerusalem has to be exalted above your chief joy. Jerusalem is the city of God. The new city of God, the new Jerusalem that's come down from heaven is the church of the Lord Jesus. So this is why the reformers to a man affirm the centrality and priority of the church over every human institution. The church is not a human institution. It's over all other because it's a divine institution. It is the city that's come down from heaven. God is its builder and maker. This is not a human institution. It is something God has said. But Luther says, reflecting again Cyprian, but outside the Christian church, that is where the gospel is not, There is no forgiveness and hence no holiness outside of the Christian church. No one can come to the Lord Jesus. And Calvin, as you've probably heard before, he said, let us learn. He's talking about, that Paul talks about the Jerusalem from above is our mother, he says. The city of God that descends from heaven, Paul says, that's our mother. That's the one that gives you life. It is the body of Christ, of course, it's the church he's talking about. And Calvin picks up on that and he says... Let us learn, even from the simple title, Mother, how useful, indeed, how necessary it is that we should know the Church. For there is no other way to enter life unless the Mother conceive us in her womb, give us birth, nourish us at her breast, and lastly, unless she keep us under her care and guidance, until putting off mortal flesh we become like the angels. Our weakness does not allow us to be dismissed from her school until we have been pupils all our lives. Furthermore, away from her bosom, one cannot hope for any forgiveness of sins or any salvation. And this is the view of all the Reformed confessions. Uh, The Second Helvetic Confession, for example, in chapter 17. But we esteem fellowship with the true church of Christ so highly that we deny that those can live before God who do not stand in fellowship with the true church of God, but separate themselves from it. For as there was no salvation outside of Noah's ark when the world perished in the flood, so we believe that there is no certain salvation outside Christ who offers himself to be enjoyed by the elect in the church. And hence we teach that those who wish to live ought not to be separated from the true church of Jesus Christ. This is the unanimous testimony. Uh, Who is weird? (laughs) It's me. It's us if we don't think this way, because this is the way all the Orthodox have always thought, and that means, you see, that nothing in this world is more important than the church of our Savior, because it is his body, and that's why it's so alarming to see Christians place far more importance upon their families, as important as that is, but you shouldn't put more importance on your family than the church. Jesus has told us if you don't hate father and mother, if you, don't, if you love them more than me, you're not worthy of me. And he's not saying, I want you to hate your father and mother. He's not saying that, is he? You're to honor father and mother. You're to love father and mother. What is he saying when he says, if you love them more than me, though, you're not worthy of me. He's saying, understand, why is it that your family is a blessing? There's one reason. It's not because you're a family. It's because you're a member of my body. The church makes your family strong. You separate your family from the church, and we will all lament as we see you dry up and die. It happens all the time when families leave the church. They think it's more important to be on their family time, have their family time rather than worship. Okay, I can almost predict you're going to have big problems because families are not self-sufficient. You need the instruction, the example, the encouragement of other families In the church, in the body, you separate yourself from the body, it's not going to be well with you. It isn't. The family's not more important for your prosperity than the church. As important as the family is. Hear me on that, because I don't want you to say, boy, that guy hates the family, dude. I love the family, and I want us to emphasize the family. But if you're emphasizing it as you put it in the first place, you've made a huge error and you're denying Jesus at that point. You see, And Jesus tells us that over and over again. So this is why there's, I have to make this, this point, among other things, this is also why I have to, as interested as we are in polit- I am in politics, I have to watch out, I can't, I can't start being worried about the wrong guy getting elected or that piece of legislation or that, I'm gonna oppose it or, or support it, whatever, But I can't begin to fall into the idea that, man, that's the most important thing. It isn't the most important thing. Worship is the most important thing we do on the earth. We'll talk about that tomorrow, but it is. The church, it has to be because the church is the body of Christ. And because of that, it is salvation. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for your, your word that helps us to understand. And we don't understand everything we should. I pray that you'll help us to understand this more fully. Uh, we confess, O oh Lord, that, that we, many of us, have not grown up uh, thinking this way. And I confess that I need to learn more about this. So teach us all more about this reality so that we can be straight and clear and biblical in all of our thinking. Deliver us from evil and error, and help us in every way to honor you. Thank you for this time together. Help us now to honor you throughout the rest of this evening. For Jesus' sake, amen.